Welcome to the Fearless Mom Podcast, where our goal is to give practical tips and tools to help moms actually enjoy parenting. Whether you're watching or listening by yourself or you're with a group, we're just so glad that you've joined us. And remember, we never want to add to your already long to-do list. We just want to help you be intentional with what you're already doing. Hey guys, I'm Julie Richard, and I'm so glad you're tuning in today. Julia and I are currently prepping a series about stress response, emotional resilience, and all sorts of topics that we believe can be helpful as we all work our way out of this quarantine and back into whatever passes for normal life for each of us. In 2019, we recorded a series that digs deep into the growth mindset, mindfulness, and emotions and behaviors. And we believe this series sets the stage for all of this upcoming content. We want to encourage you to listen to these three sessions on mindful thinking, and then we'll dive into all the new content together. Here's session three. Welcome to Fearless Mom. Today we are in week three, the close of our growth mindset series. We've been talking about how important it is, how beneficial it is to be aware of our mindset, how having a growth mindset and how understanding mindfulness can literally change the way we approach and respond to every situation, every person, and every circumstance in our lives. And the research shows that when we embrace that growth mindset, our lives will work better. I'm so excited today to do this third part, but before we get into it, we want to welcome in our online moms. If you are watching or listening, we're thrilled that technology has connected us today. And our prayer always is that you feel a group of moms in Austin cheering you on. You may be watching or listening by yourself, but you are not alone. We are with you, we are for you, and we have some good news. We don't know what we're doing either, but we are all working hard to be the moms that we were created to be. We're learning more information every day, trying to put it into practice so that we can raise our kids to be who God created them to be. We're so glad you're joining us. Now, I think we need to pray and get started because I mentioned to you guys before we started recording that I have a lot of research to share, and you know how I feel about research. I think it's because it makes me feel smart. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you in advance for what you're going to do today through um, this time. I ask right now that you settle our hearts and minds, that you open our eyes and ears to see and hear what we can do what we need to learn, what we need to put into practice to teach our kids this growth mindset and mindfulness and how we know that you, God, have great plans for every single family. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. We've been talking about the growth mindset, and I turned 50 this year, and so actually, I think through this study, I have decided the most important fact is you can teach an old dog new tricks. And I'm talking about myself. And I apologize if the last two weeks have been a therapy session that I have shared with you. But the truth is, this information, this study has been so pertinent, and it has, I guess because my mind has been set on it, I see it 
everywhere now. Let me give you an example about my own life. Um, now, I, my husband is Mac, and Mac is a rational, logical, great problem solver, great decision maker. I, on the other hand, not so much. Now, Mac is excellent with directions. I, on the other hand, not so much. Um, it's not unusual, particularly before we had GPS, it was not unusual for me to call Mac from the car and say to him, I don't know where I am. I need you to help me. I need you, I need you to help me. I don't know which turn to make. And he would say calmly, where are you? I don't know. That's why I called you. Isn't it obvious that I am lost right now? And he could tell my tone was panicky. You know, I was breathing fast. I was talking fast. Um, and he would say, okay, look around you. Um, tell me what's around you. I can't see. And it just got worse. Now there's a line of cars behind me. Do I turn right or do I turn left? I know. It's illogical. It is irrational. I'm not proud of it, guys. I'm just telling you like it is. One time I literally called him. I was reminding him of this this week. I go, do you remember that time that I was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, visiting a friend, and I had to go to the airport to pick her up, and I called him from a stoplight and asked him, do I turn left right here? Yeah, he was in Austin. He had no idea. He's never been to the Fort Lauderdale airport. Why I felt like he would understand, I have no idea. Actually, I do know why. Because in our 28 years of marriage, every time I've been flustered, every time I needed to make a decision, every time I needed directions, every time I needed a problem solved, I called him. And he would say, okay, give me the facts. And then he would solve my problem. Or he would tell me what I should do next. Or he would guide me through it. And I'm like... Wow, what if I hadn't married him? I'd still be at the stoplight in Fort Lauderdale probably. <laughs> so then, last week, I had a situation. Actually, it's two weeks ago. I had a situation in which I had to do some quick problem solving. I had to do some quick decision making. So what was my reflex? I called Mac. I called Mac, and he did not answer. So I texted Mac immediately. He did not respond. So I called him again. Anybody do that? I thought, this time he'll answer. He'll see. Three missed calls. I better answer. And then I texted him again, and I called him again, and he did not answer. And I started thinking, I'm not the problem solver. I'm not the rational thinker. I'm not the decision maker. Yet. I'm not the problem solver. Yet. I do not think rationally what? So I sat there and I slowed my breathing. I felt my heart rate go down. I moved from the back to the front and I'm like, I can do this. I can solve this problem. I can make this decision. And so I came to a conclusion. I'm like, I am amazing. Actually, I am a problem solver. I do make great decisions. And then Matt called back. Now, to be fair, it was probably about two minutes, okay? I thought in my mind that a year had gone by, but it was actually about two minutes. And I told him, I go, honey, I'm sorry that I called you so many times. I got this. I got this. I had applied the growth mindset at age 50 to my decision-making and my problem-solving. You know why? Because the research shows that you are capable, that you are capable of changing the way you think, that you are capable of having a growth mindset. And so I'm like, oh, I can do this. I can do this. Now, to be honest, I did not really finalize that decision until Matt told me it was a good one. But that's okay. I was capable of doing it. And I did feel braver, stronger. 
stronger and smarter afterwards. What an amazing thing for me to learn. And then I was able to share that with my children. My children, guys, are 25, 25, 23, 21. They are all young adults. My two I gave birth to and my two bonus kids. They are all young adults. But I'm I'm not going to feel guilty that I haven't done it before. I'm going to embrace the growth mindset and say I can start doing it now. Because it's not too late for me to benefit from it. And if it's not too late for me at age 50, then it's not too late for my kids at 25, 25, 23, 21. What happens when we start studying new information? I was doing research this week. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not intentional, then all of a sudden I will feel guilty and feel like the worst mom in the world. And so what does guilt do? Guilt is the enemy of forward progress. So when we learn new information, when we study research, we have a decision to make. We're going to apply our growth mindset to this new information. It is not about the guilt and what I've done in the past. It is about the opportunity and what I can do moving forward. Turn to your neighbor and say, move forward. Turn to your other neighbor. Now say it like you mean it, people, okay? Move forward. Move forward. I haven't applied the growth mindset to every area of my life. Yet, you can do it. You can make changes. It's so encouraging. It's so empowering. It's amazing. Here's what studies show also. If you see a little bit of progress, you're more likely to do it again. So if your children hear you say, I tried the growth mindset and it worked. I tried something new and I felt braver. I felt like that was difficult for me, but I stuck with it and it worked. They see progress in you and they're more likely to apply it. The best way to teach growth mindset is to have a growth mindset. The best way to teach mindfulness is to be mindful. And we're going to talk about all of this and how it applies to emotions and feelings today. Before we get started, y'all know how I feel about research. I love myself some good statistics. So I'm going to share with you guys some encouraging research. I think this will make you feel great about parenting in 2019. What year is this? Did y'all see me pause right there? That's right. Uh-huh. That, that, you can see how I could doubt my decision making. Um, so Tim, Dr. Tim Elmore is the founder and president of Growing Leaders. It's an Atlanta-based organization. He is passionate about research and equipping parents, teachers, leaders, coaches, how to equip the next generation, especially the Generation Z, um, the latest generation, the generation that are young adults right now, just below the millennials. Um, And so what he did with the Harris Poll, they surveyed more than 2,000 adults across America and from a variety of demographics to find out how adults in our country feel about Generation Z and those who are growing up right now, born 95 to 2012. So it's not the millennials, it's just below the millennials. And what do adults think about this generation of college kids and um, young adults? Well, 66% of American adults have a negative emotion first when they think of kids today. They have a negative emotion. In other words, the first thing we feel about the next generation is pessimism. The first thing we feel is negative, not positive. 64% of us do not believe today's kids will be ready for adulthood in time. 
64% say we, these kids will not be ready for adulthood. Okay, you know what this tells us? This says that we are operating from fear. We don't believe that our kids will be ready. We don't believe the next generation will be ready. And that is what is motivating us. We are parenting out of fear. Those are not fearless moms. That was just 64% of the population. Isn't this encouraging? Another recent study showed that 94% of college students today feel overwhelmed. We know that. We've talked about the lack of emotional resilience. Um, 44% of college students feel so overwhelmed that they do not feel they can function. Cognitive behavioral therapist Dr. Robert Leahy says, listen to this, the average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient from the early 1950s. I'm going to say it again. The average, and this is from Dr. Robert Leahy, a cognitive behavioral therapist from his research. The average high school student today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. Isn't this encouraging? Aren't aren't y'all glad? Didn't this make you excited about raising kids today? Yeah, right? Doesn't it? Yeah, okay. The reason I'm saying that it should be encouraging is because of the research that I found after that. We acknowledge the negative trends today. We acknowledge that our kids are, that our our high school kids and college kids and young adults today, it's not a surprise that increased anxiety and depression and a lack of emotional resilience. We know that to be true, anecdotally as well as statistically. In 1954, Dr. Julian Rotter created a scale to determine whether students were developing an external locus of control or an internal locus of control. I'm going to put the definitions up here um, because I think it's easier to understand if you can see it. An internal locus of control, I remember this because of the I. An internal locus of control says, I am responsible and in control of my future success. I can, I have choices, I can work for it, I have control over my success, as opposed to external. External, me, X, I don't have control. This happens to me. Someone with an external locus of control says, fate or external forces somehow determine my success. In other words, if you have an external locus of control, You are a victim. You're sitting back and life is happening to you. This is what he said in 1954, Julian Rotter. But if I have an internal locus of control, then I may not always be able to choose my circumstances, but I always have a choice about how I approach and respond to them. You see the internal, the I, I can control my response. I can control how much I work. I can control versus the external This is happening to me. Life is happening to me. It's a victim mentality. They also found in their research that over the years, the statistics showed that there were more and more young people with an external locus of control. They moved from internal, statistically, much higher to external. You can see how 
If I feel like life is happening to me and I have no control that now I have increased anxiety and depression. I think it's logical when we look at the statistics and when we look at what they found. So then I have a choice now. This is why I say the research is empowering, the research is encouraging because we can look at all of these things, the negative, like 94% feel um, overwhelmed, 44% feel so overwhelmed that they can't function. Actually, one in 10 have considered suicide from that study. And that can be very discouraging, except that what this guy found is that if we can teach an internal locus of control, and I do have a say in how my life plays out, now we have decreased and we have minimized the likelihood of anxiety and depression. So why is that encouraging? Because when I look at that research and I see the negative trends, I have two options. I can look at it and go, this is terrible that our kids are growing up today. I can adopt that external locus of control. I can read those statistics and go, golly, it is just hard raising, parent, raising kids, raising parents. Anybody raising your parents? No. It is hard raising kids today. I have a choice, guys. I can fall into that victim mentality and, ugh, it's just hard. It's hard for everybody I know. Therefore, I'm just going to pray and hope for the best. Or I can adopt the internal locus of control. This is true about today, but I can control what I teach my children. I can control my mindset because we know that your mindset is not just what you believe about one thing. It's how you think about everything. And so now I'm going to say, not only do I want my kids to have an internal locus of control, I must adopt that internal locus of control too. To me, it's exactly what um, you know, Carol Dweck said in the 80s. He said it in the 50s about locus of control. Carol Dweck said it in the 80s about a growth mindset. I actually can get braver and stronger and smarter because I can control my response to those situations. So is it overwhelming sometimes to look at the statistics? Yes, but if you keep studying, you see that there actually are choices we can make to set our kids up for a better life. And so that's what we're doing. That's what we've been studying. If you study the growth mindset, if you study locus of control, you may be tempted to say, well, I guess that's just personality driven, or maybe if you grow up in the right area, or you grow up in the right home, Sure, those are factors, but the bottom line is you can change your mindset and you can change your locus of control by changing the way you think. Galatians 6, 4, and 5. Galatians 6, 4, and 5. Remember, this is internal locus of control. What does the Bible say about my responsibility? Internal locus of control. Galatians 6, 4, and 5. Read the highlighted words with me. Pay careful attention to... Your own work. You know, I'm going to give y'all a C minus, okay? And I know you've already had coffee, so let's try it again. Pay careful attention to your own For then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. See, internal locus of control, growth mindset. I'm responsible for my own conduct. I'm not responsible for the circumstances around me, but I am responsible for how I approach and respond to them. External locus of control says, my responsibility is to sit here and be really devastated. Or my responsibility is to take charge and say, you know what? 
I'm, I'm creating the life I want to live, and I'm going to do my best. I can't control everything, but I can control how I approach and respond to those things. So the good news is we can move toward an internal locus of control. We can empower our kids with an internal locus of control. We know that our kids grow resilience, our kids grow stronger, our kids grow braver the more they experience life. Our responsibility is to try that for ourselves, to do it so that we then believe it, and to model it so that then we empower them to do the same thing. Because what do we know about mindset? Your mindset can be a superpower. Your mindset can be a superpower. I'm talking about a growth mindset and how I approach and respond to everything, not just academics, not just sports, but all of my relationships, my spiritual development, my life and problem solving and decision making. I need to put into practice a growth mindset in everything that I do. I need to step into and embrace my responsibility and grab that internal locus of control. Best way to teach your kids is to have it yourself. And you're like, ah, oh. when I studied this, I was guilt-ridden. I was like, oh my word, as an educator, I've always believed the growth mindset in the classroom, but instead of embracing risk, I've really kind of talked my kids out of risk. I didn't want them to feel lost or disappointment or hurt. And so I had a choice. I can stand here and talk about how I felt guilty and apologized to my kids profusely, which I did. And you know what else I did? I said, this is what I did wrong, guys, but today's a new day. And we are now moving what? Not backward. We are moving. We are moving forward, and they're following my lead because the Bible says you can change the way you think. You can change your mindset. Look at Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you. You know what Carol Dweck didn't put into play? Our almighty God, the same God that parted the Red Sea, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead will help you change your mindset. Let God transform you into a new person by changing what? By changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. You got to get your head space in the right space. You got to get your mind right, your mindset healthy, and say, you know what? I can't do this yet. I don't have a growth mindset yet. I don't have an internal locus of control yet, but I will do the work. I will employ new strategies. I will get help, and I will apply it to every area of my life because the research says the situation looks grim out there, but I can control how I empower my family and how I equip my kids, no matter how old or how young your kids are. You're thinking, Julie, I have a newborn. Gen my kids are going to be gen blotty blotty. I don't even know what generation my kids are going to be in. Here's the deal. It's your responsibility now to make sure you are in the right place, to make sure you have a growth mindset about your life, your marriage, your family, your spiritual development. Make sure you have embraced an internal locus of control. Make sure you and your husband are on the same page, and then you will pass it on to your children. As your children are older developmentally, you'll know when to start speaking that vocabulary. We talked about all of those things. We're gonna review it in just a minute, but you can be changed. Another version says, 
this by the renewing of your mind. And Matthew Henry, I mentioned this last week, Matthew Henry commentary, he says that the mind is the the root of everything because the mind controls what we do. It controls every part of your life. So growth mindset applies to every single thing. Allow God to work in you and through you. Um, now, we talked about some of the vocabulary that is beneficial in homes, and I, I again, I, I taught this for you to teach your young children, and I've been noticing that I've changed my vocabulary for myself. My prayer is that you feel the same way. Let's do a quick review. The power of yet, I can't do that yet. I'm not good at that yet. The power of choice. Do you see how the power of choice moves from external to internal? I, I can't control what my friends are doing, but I can control how I respond to them. It's that power of choice. I always have a choice. I'm discouraged, but I can choose to keep going. I always have a choice. The power of praise. We always want to praise the process, not the product. And then last week, We did the power of struggle, the power of risk, and the power of new. I encouraged you to try something new. Try something new this week. Let your kids see you do something new. Do it for yourself. Try something new and feel braver, smarter, stronger, and embrace that internal locus of control. I can do this. Last week, we also began our discussion on the benefits of mindfulness. And we have our own definition of mindfulness. If you are in um, some schools nowadays are starting their day with a mindful activity, we listed multiple mindful activities that you can do at any age. Um, There's a book that I uh, called The Willpower Instinct that encourages you to start as an adult um, every day with five minutes of just sitting and breathing. Um, There are so many ways to build mindfulness into your day. I want to make sure we're working from the same definition. Last week, our definition was this. Mindfulness, being intentionally and fully aware of the present. And as moms, our job description is multitasking. And we are great at it. We can do many things at one time, and that is a gift But as we build our mindfulness and develop our mindfulness, we have to build moments for single tasking into our day. We want to make sure that there are days when we are moments in our day. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing if we could just single task for a whole day? (laughs) That we could single task for a moment. Right now, I will be intentionally and fully present. I will be intentionally and fully single tasking right now. It may be a minute. It may be 10 minutes. If you're lucky, maybe an hour. And this week, we're going to add to this definition. So we're still being intentionally and fully aware of the present, but I want to break it down a little bit. We're being intentionally and fully aware of our thoughts, our feelings, and physical sensations. Thoughts, feelings, and physical sensations. One of our mindful activities we said last week that you can do with children, you can do yourself, go outside and just consider all five senses. What do I see? What do I hear? What do I taste? What do I feel? You're building all of them. What do I smell? It's making you aware 
of the present. It's also making you aware we can take it to the next level. And now how do I feel? So we want to empower kids with this vocabulary. We also want to encourage them to notice how they feel. The connecting thread through all that we've talked about, growth mindset, social-emotional learning, cognitive behavior therapy, all of these things, the growth mindset and all of these things, what we want to do is we want kids to recognize thought, to be able to catch that thought and say, now what do I do with it? We're trying to teach them to be aware and mindful of how they're thinking and how they're feeling, not just feeling emotionally, but how they're feeling physically. We all know that many times we need to stop and say, how am I feeling physically? And am I, things like, I have butterflies in my stomach. I feel that my hands are sweaty. I've been, my headache or my stomachache, whatever it is, we want to teach them to articulate this and maybe how to connect this to an emotion that they are feeling. What we are working on um, with Catch That Thought and what we're going to talk about today building on that is emotional intelligence, emotional awareness. It's being self-aware as well as self-regulating. So when we talk about discipline, for instance, we do discipline moving towards self-discipline. We regulate our kids and their behaviors and what they eat moving toward self-regulation. That's what we're going to talk about with our emotions. Emotional intelligence is the ability to understand, use, and manage your own emotions, listen to this, in positive ways. You want to use your emotion, not just acknowledge them. You want to use your emotions in positive ways. That's a new way to look at feelings. How can I use them in positive ways? We talk about our strong-willed blessings, our deep feelers. And some of you are like, you have no idea. My kid has more emotions than you could ever imagine. That is a gift. We need to look at that passion and that enthusiasm as a gift. Now it's our responsibility to teach them to use it in a productive way. And that's what we're building, emotional intelligence. Or uh, you've heard maybe EQ, your emotional quotient. We want them to be able to identify that, to process it, express it, and overcome, and use it in a productive way. So we're now going to add to our change your mindset. We've got three more superpowers today. Three more things that we can use to teach kids how to apply growth mindset and mindfulness to feelings and emotions. Change your mindset. Here we go. The power of pause. Everybody say pause. The power of pause. Max said that when he was in high school, he had a coach, a basketball coach that used to tell them, when you get cornered, when you get backed against a wall, when you pick up your dribble and you don't know what to do, he would tell them, pause for poise. Pause for poise. Isn't that a great saying? It's not just about basketball. Pause for poise. If we can teach our kids, pause, breathe. See, what we're doing, if we can teach our kids the pause, then we are teaching them deep breaths. You've now slowed your breathing. You've lowered your heart rate. In reality, you've now moved your thinking from your amygdala and your height of emotion to your frontal lobe, to your prefrontal cortex. They are now more likely to be able to use logic and reason to problem solve and think what to do next. It's amazing how it's all connected. I have been doing this, and literally, and I think it's Dr. Nicole who just does it. She has a signal for her kids. 
Just move it to the front. Move it to the front. That's what we say in our family now. Move it to the front. Move it to the front. And that's just, okay, you're not thinking logically. You're not thinking rationally. So teaching the pause says, I always feel panic and urgency. Like, I have to respond right now, and I'm not. I can't respond when I'm like that. That's not productive. That's not logical. That's not rational. I will not come up with a good solution when I'm there. But when I teach the pause, I create space between the stimulus and my response. Instead of reacting with emotion, I'm now responding with rational thought and logic. And so if we can teach our kids, we say all the time, deep breaths. Let me give you a clue. When your child is having a tantrum and you begin to say, take a deep breath, take a deep breath, your child is here, okay? Your child is responding, reacting here. And then I'm here going logically, take a deep breath, take a deep breath, take a deep breath. And the child is going, I can't take a deep breath, I can't take a deep breath. Well, then what do I do? I was here. Now I'm like, I said take a deep breath, I said take a deep breath. Oh, yeah. That, that is the least productive way to problem solve. And y'all are laughing because I know that you've done it. I for sure have done it. I would look at my four-year-old and I would begin, she was here, and I would begin here. And within 30 seconds, I'm going, why are you doing this to me? Yeah, not logical, not productive. So what we want to do is they have their tantrum wherever in their room. We, when they're calmed down, when they come back, now we talk about, you know what? Um, we were both reacting back here. Let's talk about what we could do next time. Now, sometimes you will have a kid who you say, take a deep breath, but odds are it's after they practiced when they've been calm. So you want to teach the deep breath, teach the pause during calm situations. It's probably not going to all of a sudden be learned in the middle of the Chick-fil-A playground, you know? Like you, you said I could have ice cream. I don't know, that's hypothetical. But when Joseph or Emily would get upset, at first we just had to pause was go to your room. Pause was separation. Pause was, we'll talk about this when you're calm. And then we talked about it later when we both could move back here. We can't really just blame the children for thinking here. You and I both know. We get there real quick. And so when we talk about uh, the pause, we say a lot in our series on emote control. If you want to go back and look at those podcasts, take a breath, take a break, watch your tone, watch your face. Mom wants to hear what you have to say. I want to talk to you about it, but you can't talk to me with that tone. Take a breath, take a break, watch your tone, watch your face. When they're upset, when I'm upset, take a breath, take a break, watch my tone, watch my face. When my speech gets softer, all of it is moving myself to my prefrontal cortex. We can do this. We can do it. My child is too emotional. Your child is not, they don't know how to control their emotions. What? but it's our responsibility to prepare them. Um, now, the power of right now. So we have the power of pause and the power of right now. The power of right now embraces the feeling whatever it is. When I teach my child pause, whether they are, and I wanna remind you that anger is most often a secondary emotion. Anger is most often a secondary emotion. So if you have a child who is having angry outbursts, let, let's, let's try to figure out why. It's typically embarrassment. It is, they're offended. They're hurt. They're afraid. We have to dig a little deeper. We don't excuse the behavior, 
But to solve it, to equip them, we got to figure out why. It's important that we remember that, that anger is most often a secondary as we identify and equip them to handle it next time. So we've placed the pause, and now we want to embrace the right now. We want to talk about the power of right now. Because what we want kids to do, now watch me, because this is a, so I want to empower my kids to embrace any feeling. A feeling is a spontaneous. There's no shame in any feeling. Feeling of embarrassment, feeling of fear, whatever it is, there's no shame in it. What I want to empower them to do is to turn toward the feeling and to identify it. So I feel embarrassed. I feel sad. I feel hurt. I feel mad. Whatever it is, I see it. I feel it. I feel mad, listen carefully, I feel mad right now, but I won't feel mad forever. I feel sad right now, but I won't feel sad forever. I feel embarrassed right now, but I won't feel embarrassed forever. We want to turn toward, we want acceptance, we want to understand the non-permanence, and then we're going to build in resilience. So what we do is we see the feeling. We teach them that emotional vocabulary, guys. If you haven't, go back and get the Emote Control series. Go look at it because we've got some great tools to help kids develop that emotional vocabulary. But I feel it right now, and I won't feel it forever. That is so helpful. It gives me now, remembering that internal locus of control, I now say, okay, I press pause. And I will, I'm feeling this right now. I'm not embarrassed to feel this. I'm not afraid to feel this. This is what I feel right now. But I know I won't feel it forever. That creates more space and allows me to handle it in a productive way. I've now identified it. I'm processing it. And now I'm going to be able to more productively express it because I understand that it won't be there forever. This goes for bad feelings and good feelings. I think sometimes when we talk about being aware of your feelings, we leave out the good feelings. And so we like, I've got a feeler. I've got a deep feeler. I've got to work on all his negative emotions. Odds are that kid's got some good emotions too. If they're deep feelers, then they feel good very deeply too. So we want them to turn toward that as well. And we want them to say, I feel proud right now. I won't feel it forever. So man, let's celebrate. I feel excited right now. And I won't feel excited forever. So let's celebrate. I feel happy right now. And I know that I won't feel happy forever, but I'm going to love feeling happy right now. So it goes for good and bad. Understanding the non-permanence, I think, helps us move toward our next step. So when we, when we understand like you know what, I'm going to pause, I'm going to turn toward, I'm going to hold it, I'm going to see it, I'm going to call it what it is, I'm going to try to figure it out. And we talk about being aware of our thoughts, our feelings, and our physical sensations. I feel embarrassed right now. It's interesting, Ashley Horn um, has Logan, who is her second one, and um, he's had a pretty great emotional vocabulary since he was tiny. He's a feeler. He's just not the free expressor. And so don't underestimate your quiet kids. Don't think that they don't feel. She's empowered him with an emotional vocabulary, and he understands now, I feel embarrassed. There's no shame in feeling embarrassed. I feel nervous. I feel it. And you know what? When I feel nervous, I, my stomach feels funny. My, they begin to notice their triggers. They begin to notice what their body is saying. It's that mindfulness, being aware of all the things. So when a child says, I feel afraid, well, what do you think that is? What do you think is making you feel that way? And can you tell, uh, what do your hands feel like? Are your hands sweaty? 
Do you have, I know with Joseph, we ended up realizing that his reflex to his feelings, because again, you don't think of him as being a deep feeler because he's not a big talker or expresser, but he was a big feeler. And so we had to work with him on recognizing it. With Emily, her, she was all, it was coming out every, you know, every second. She had to temper her feelings. He had to trust his feelings. And so we had to teach him. You know what that is? Because he was throwing up. And, and when he got nervous, he would throw up. And of course, I was having every test run and every, you know, I thought he had some allergy we didn't know about. And I'm not saying if your child has an illness, it's about their feelings. I'm just saying it's worth looking at, worth examining. You can't separate emotional health and physical health. And so we had to teach him, you know what, you feel that right now and you won't feel that way forever. But when you feel nauseous now, Joe, it's good for you to recognize, hey, am I nervous about something? What is it? Is there something I can do about it? It's empowering them with noticing their thoughts and feelings and physical sensations. Um, the power of right now also moves kids from the front to the back or adults. We talk a lot about reacting with emotion and then let's respond rationally where there's some people who are the opposite. They want they work in the rational world and they have to learn to turn toward and embrace that feeling and how to express it. It works both ways, the power of right now. Um, the power of mindfulness is super helpful as we move forward because the third thing is the power of growth. We have to look at emotions and feelings as opportunity for growth. I feel sad right now, but I won't feel sad forever. And you know what? When I turned toward it and when I held it in my hand, I'm stronger because now I know what it looks like. And I know that it's temporary. And I know that I won't feel that way forever. We embrace whatever it is and we see it as opportunity, but not just opportunity, necessity for growth. Feeling feelings are necessity for growth. We talked about struggle is necessary for growth. We are built for struggle. We are built for physical struggle. We are built for emotional struggle because that is how the emotional muscle is built. And our feelings muscle is built. When we turn toward it, we see it, we identify it, and we embrace it. We look at it. We're not going to hurry through it. But then, as we said before, you strap it in the back seat where it goes it doesn't drive my decisions, but you know what? I'm aware that it's there. And then I can move forward because it's not about guilt. It's not about shame. It's about moving forward. And we want to teach our kids. This is something we can say over and over again. We talk about the power of growth. Feeling blank isn't fun, I know, but feeling blank can help you grow. Feeling sad isn't fun, I know, but feeling sad can help you grow. Feeling Frustrated isn't fun, I know, but feeling frustrated can help you grow. This actually helps me allow my kids to struggle. I do not want my kids to experience disappointment, sadness, loss, frustration. My reflex is to protect them from it. My reflex, but do you see how what we do when we protect our kids from it? Number one, we communicate, you can't handle this without me. And number two, we have now perpetuated the feeling of external control. When in reality, if I say, you know what? I hate that you're sad right now. I hate it when you're sad. Feeling sad isn't fun, I know, but feeling sad can help you and let them say grow. Feeling sad can help you grow. Feeling frustrated, feeling disappointed isn't fun, I know, but feeling disappointed can help you 
It helps you grow. We want healthy, happy children. We must allow, facilitate, and fuel growth. Not just the growth mindset, but growth from life experiences. And if you have a newborn and you're thinking, oh, I will never let my child struggle. I get it. We were, we've all been there. Or maybe you're saying, I won't struggle with this. I believe this. I will tell you that the hardest thing about parenting is allowing your child to struggle. Even I know all the research. I teach it. I study it. I've read every book. And my reflex is to intervene and protect my children. My reflex, but my responsibility is to equip and prepare them and to let them know, hey, guys, you can do this because God's got your back. There will be things in your life that are hard. You can do hard things because God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I equip them with that truth. I partner with the church, and they build that into them too. But I have to trust Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. Read the highlighted words with me. And we know that God causes what? We know that God causes everything to work together what? For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. We know that God uses everything. The struggle, the hurt, the disappointment, the loss, whatever it is. We know God uses everything for the good. And so we can see that this is powerful and beneficial to not only our children, but to us as well. We're going to move into a time of reflection. We talked about the internal locus of control versus the external locus of control. And motherhood, we'd all agree, there are many things that we feel are out of our control. Because there are. I can't always determine how healthy my child is, how well they sleep, how my teenager obeys, whatever it is. My child's classmates or teacher, there are some things out of my control. And so if I'm not careful, if I'm not intentional, I can move to that external locus of control. But we know that happiness and fulfillment comes from implementing the internal locus of control. So what I have to do is I have to say, I will control the things I can. Then I will trust God with the things I cannot control. We leave it to him because he is in control. He is ultimately a sovereign God, and he has you and your family in the palm of his hand. So what we're going to do with our reflection right now is I want you to draw a circle on your paper. I want you to draw a big circle, not a little one, a big circle. Inside the circle, I want you to list all the things that you can control. Outside the circle, I want you to list all the things you can't control. We acknowledge there are things out of our control. But we also take responsibility for controlling what we can. And what about those things we can't control? We serve the sovereign God, the one true God. And he is with you and he is for you. So trusting him with the things we cannot control changes our mindset and then brings us back to taking responsibility for what we can control. This week, as you go throughout your week, I want to encourage you, press pause. Am I controlling what I can? And am I empowering my children to do the same? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your sovereignty, your goodness, 
I thank you, God, for your word that gives us so many promises and truths that you are with us and you are for us. We trust you, God, with the things we cannot control. But God, show us, remind us of our responsibility to control the things we can. God, we are not victims, but because of you, we walk in victory and strength and bravery. In Jesus' name, amen. We're so glad you joined us today. You can get more resources and information at fearlessmom.com.